Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Thanks for tuning back in. This is episode 235, and I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Today, my guest's name is Mark Johnson. He is the CEO and founder of Star Exhibits, CEO and founder of My Backyard Studio, as well as an active participant on nonprofit boards, as well as the board of the international and national industry associations that they're a part of. And what we're going to be talking about today is how Mark took Star Exhibits from a near-death experience of the business because it's in the trade show industry that was impacted and 90% of the revenue disappeared in 2020 and pivoted it extremely hard with lots of different options into a space that allowed him to end the year 2020 with more cash than they started. This is a huge deal because Star Exhibits is an eight-figure company with a 200,000 square foot building where they construct all of their exhibits with over 100 employees. That's a lot of overhead to take care of when you have 90% of your revenue and your industry activity that disappears out from underneath you with a blink of an eye. Why I'm personally excited for you to listen to this episode is Mark is a absolute case study for how calculated strategic planning pays off even in the worst circumstances. The reason this is a good story to listen to to prove this is I have seen over the last 12 months that each company and industry can fall into one of three buckets. The first bucket was completely decimated, hospitality, restaurants, events, trade shows. Then you have the next bucket of the next third where 20 to 30% of their revenues and profits are down and they've got to figure out what to do next. And then the next third are the companies and industries just took off because COVID and the shutdowns accelerated the trends that were already happening. And I love this story because it proves that there are no excuses. Mark and Star Exhibits was in the first category of companies that were completely decimated and almost no hope, yet they still figured it out. And through the decision-making process that they went through and the planning process, they were able to overcome all the obstacles and challenges that we know hit their industry and came out the other side with more success and future long-term possibilities. Mark's gonna share with you how they went about assessing those ideas, how they tested them out, how they canceled and sandbagged the ideas that didn't work, how they doubled down on the ones that did, how he went about finding those ideas, the importance of reducing your ego and having a process of assessing these ideas and then testing them out with market data to make sure that you're gonna double down the investment and the time and resources into the right areas. Mark's gonna share with you some of his favorite resources that help them with strategic planning, how he utilizes his employees, his trade association, his peers, his advisors, all the different things that came into play as they were making this progress through the burning fire of their industry. If you wanna dive more into strategic planning, there's a whole section in our Intentional Growth Digital course that if you go check it out at our Kona io underneath principle four of increasing value we talk about the importance of a written strategic plan and the 10 steps that it takes to actually build out a correct strategic plan so that way you know that the activities that you're spending your time money and energy on are going to grow a more valuable business and or help you overcome insane obstacles that you may or may not even see in front of you thanks again for tuning in i really hope you enjoy this episode with mark johnson 
sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Mark, how you doing? Doing great, Ryan. How are you today? Good. I will, uh, I'll kind of give, I'll lay the groundwork here. So I went to school with your daughter and I've been following, you know, Star and what you guys have been doing for years. I, I don't know if we ever actually worked with you guys at the family business, but, you know, I, 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 my heart goes out to the, the industry because I was just telling you that I've got a couple of friends where they just got decimated and I saw you guys post online your pivot like a couple of weeks ago and I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get Mark on the show to share how he did it because of the industry and what you guys have done. I just think it's a, a story that hopefully we can give a lot of people some insights that even if you're in the the industry that's impacted the most, there are possibilities to, to claw your way out. So with that being said, why don't you just kind of give everybody a rundown of you, the business and whatever you think is pertinent. Yeah, thanks. We're really excited in the opportunity to sit and talk to you about this today. But yeah, we founded Star or Star Exhibits when we started uh, 28 years ago. And even from the beginning, we were a face-to-face marketing company. We were an extension of our clients' marketing uh, brand and their initiatives that went forward with it. A lot of it drove us into the trade show world, and that's where a lot of the companies were doing their major marketing aspects of it. And we got deep and deep into that world. But it's also been uh, corporate activations. So we do a lot of Target's corporate events. JCPenney, the big rebrand launch of their, or the relaunch of their brand in New York City in 2012. You know, major endeavors that are $10 million and in and plus to corporate interiors and anything you can think of we've been doing for the last 28 years. And we're an agency that executes. So I've actually got fabrication, designers, warehouse, all those aspects of it. And that's kind of where we got started. We've been doing that for a while. And we were uh, coming into 2020 thinking we were going to have a fabulous year. Uh, We were really present to have some serious growth with things that were happening for us. But as you alluded to, you know, the industry really (laughs) took a dive in March uh, and was almost disbelief. Um, I actually, Mike Osterholm, you hear, is the epidemiologist that speaks about the pandemic all the time. I fly fish with Mike. Oh, so no way. When, yeah, when it first happened, I called Mike and uh, I said, Mike, what the hell? And he actually <laughs> wrote a book in 2017 and predicted this. It's crazy. And I so, listened to his Joe Rogan podcast right when it came out. And I was like, yeah, Minnesota. And like, he, you listen to it, but then you're like, oh, this is a, this is, it was that probably like first week of March. And you're going, this yeah. is a big deal. <laughs> Well, Mike has predicted it almost to the timeline. And uh, so uh, to be honest, at first as a business owner, you're you're just in disbelief. This can't happen. And so we kind of struggle with that a little bit, but you kind of got to look around and go, okay, Uh, our first effort was really to take a look and making sure we had the safety and the security of our team in place. What what was going to happen with the pandemic? How do we make sure everybody's safe? And then we just totally started to look at what were some of our options and where do we go to gather information? I'm still on our industry's national board uh, and also our international board. So we set up a communication routine. So you started to talk worldwide, what really was happening, what were we seeing across the country, but also across the globe. 
And, you know, you just started to see trade shows being postponed, uh, rescheduled, and then canceled. And in 2020, uh, Internet IFAS is the International Federation of Exhibition Services. They posted a 70 to a 90% drop in revenue for our industry worldwide. And wow. it depends on where you fit in that sector, which part of the, you know, if you're 70 or 90. We were seeing that coming, but at the end results, it was even worse than we, you know, anticipated with that. So, yeah, we kind of went through those areas, working with that and gathering some of our data. Then we started looking at options. You know, you've seen, we'll talk about the My Backyard Studios as a pivot, but that was just one of many. You know, we were trying to figure out what else we need to do. And you started to go with the low-hanging fruit. And to be honest, in the beginning, we were doing a lot of bids and did a couple of small temporary hospitals. You know, what do you do to help manage people through this? And that didn't really take off. And everybody chased the PPE program mm-hmm. and they're putting plexiglass together and not making any money, but you're trying to do something to keep your team busy. Mm-hmm. So we looked in that and tried to come up with some of it. And to be honest, we did produce some of the hand sanitizing stations and sold that to different companies. And that led to another pivot for us. We sold the hand sanitations to Cub Foods and UNFI. And then all of a sudden we found ourselves a new customer working with them. And they ran into the issues with the civil unrest. And I remember calling the sales team going, we're not going to put this on our website, but we have customers that are in trouble and we have a shop full of guys that know what they're doing. Let's go help them board up stores and protect their assets. Mm-hmm. And so we did a lot of the Cub stores here in town. We did a lot of the Target stores across the nation. Oh, wow. Or uh, just all of a sudden they were you know, getting hit by some of these areas. You know, it was just a, you know, the COVID alone and all the emotional stuff you went through in March, April, May, and then you come into this and you're seeing people and their worst in those riot situations. And then um, I'm on the board of ACEs, Athletes Committed to Educating Students, an after-school program. And we had 38 families alone that were in the Lake Street area. It was one of the areas that were probably hit here in Minneapolis. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you feed this family? They just lost their grocery store. Uh, and in that case, um, we connected really well. Mike Steigers is the CEO of Cub and UNFI, and and he quickly went, you know, we got to rebuild. And to rebuild a store is going to take months. But he looked to us and said, is there something we can do? And in two and a half weeks, we built that temporary grocery store down in Lake Street. And it's still here there today. It's actually coming down middle of February. The store is finally getting ready to reopen. And it's been really neat to go there and see the community be able to come back and shop. And so you get a lot of personal satisfaction through it. But again, our business was not meant to be boarding up stores or building temporary grocery stores from any sense. So anyways, we also were getting together through all this time. As you mentioned earlier, we are an EOS or attraction company. So we were still having our regular meetings and we were trying to identify what we saw trends that were happening because of this. And we have a belief that these situations do create innovation and something new. But I have a stronger belief that they really expand on trends that were already there. So one of them that... Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, like, as we... Because this is going to be... I think this is going to be crucial because I actually just got done recording an interview where we were talking with this gentleman about trends and like riding those trends. But maybe before we do that, Mark, kind of give us a, 
a feel of what star exhibits the 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 things that you were doing because you kind of gave a description so if i'm a listener right now and you're thinking about trade shows and it's not just like the pull down banners right like you're talking about like huge things you're manufacturing things so why kind of just walk us through like your operations and like what it consisted of and like what you were doing because i think that'll be relevant as you're thinking about the pivots and the data that you're gathering how you were going to leverage the things that you guys are good at right and how that was maybe kind of give us a little bit of an understanding of what it is that you guys the operations so to give you a better feel of our operations we're in a two hundred thousand plus square foot building and in the facility we actually have everything from the creative team that's working here the customer service area but full fabrication so i've got a fifty thousand square foot you know production shop with uh anywhere from 18 to 25 full-time carpenters that are working there at all times we do our finishing here. We also do the warehouse. So our execution is really fine end cabinetry work and it's the high end area with that. So a lot of the projects that we've been working on over the years, but even this last year's high end corporate interior. I mean, the Sherwin Williams centers that they have downtown, their innovation centers targets corporate interior with the museum type quality that we've done for years. We're constantly doing work like that. And then, yeah, our trade show world, we do some things as small as the 10 by 10s, but our real sweet spot is those 20 by 20s, or we've gone all the way up to Whirlpool exhibit we did for many, many years when they were going to the full size. That was 25 semi-loads going to a show. <laughs> just a little bit of stuff, right? Like the- Right. And that was double deck. I mean, our carpenters, just the skill that the team has come in from an engineering perspective, some of the things that we've pulled off have been phenomenal with that. So, yeah, we have a full... Uh, line of areas that we show in and we're brand we understand people's brand but we really execute from the fabrication and some of our guys are great at just coming out ksdp calls us and goes hey we need a new set for jason can you do it this week and our carpenters will go on site and figure stuff out so how did you you know before we get into the as you get into the pivot i think the backstory helps a little bit is like you go from a, a face-to-face marketing business to your manufacturer and cabinetry and the things that you're doing what was the progression that way? Like, did you ever envision yourself with that kind of infrastructure? I mean, and this will probably tie into some of the costs too. I mean, the, just the overhead of the things that you're doing. Did you ever envision yourself doing this or? Well, and, and maybe it's helpful a little bit, but when we started the company, it was Tom Pekacic and myself. And Tom and I were very naive. We had quit our other job. We were, I was a salesperson and Tom was my uh, sales manager, basically. We didn't have any clients. We didn't take any customers with us. But we just came in and we quit on a Friday. And then within two weeks, we had our business plan put together. We'd gone to uh, Dave Cleveland, a Riverside Bank, to give us our first loan. We found a building uh, that was really just kind of falling apart. The ceiling tile was coming down. The floor needed to be scraped up, new tiled. We took it as is. And in two and a half weeks, we just turned it on and opened up the business. That's awesome. Um, then we had to go find customers. <laughs> so there was a little bit of that naive, you know, you don't want to know how long it really should take to start a business. Exactly. The risk, it, the, it's the blind optimism sometimes is the best thing you could have. <laughs> right. But we started as that fabrication right in the beginning. So early on, we pitched one of our first customers was Pella Windows. Okay. And we did the design and build out of all their stores across the country. So we had to fabricate ourselves and go through with it. But when we went through that bid process and Pella actually awarded us the business, they came up from Iowa to celebrate and they were buying pizza. There's, I think, 12 people on the staff and that was probably stretching it. They weren't really people, employees at the time. <laughs> but anyways, he, he went into the back room where our production was and it was empty. 
And he was kind of like, uh, I just gave you a million dollar contract and you don't even have a saw back there. And it was more along the lines of, we have one. It's just that back then it was Home Depot. Wait, now you got the PO ordered because you yeah. didn't give us the million dollar contract. Well, that's where I went to him. As I checked the <laughs> fa- back then it was fax machines. I just went to the fax machine, Jim. We don't have any orders yet. You gave us the business, but we don't have any orders. So, <laughs> But no, we started with the idea that one of the things that we were going to be different with was the execution. Okay. So we've had fabrication in it from the beginning. We have a value or evolate or evolved, I'm sorry is the right word. We've evolved through that where, you know, it was the old table saws, then he went to the Altendorf, and now we got two CNCs. So we've utilized technology to bring efficiency into play. But no, three and a half months after we started, Tom died suddenly at 37. Oh my gosh. So he died within a week. Um, the most, wear your sunscreen. The most aggressive cancer is sun, you know, the sun poisoning, skin cancer. Oh my God. melanoma and if you don't catch it fast enough it takes you and it took tom really quick so i never envisioned to be in this position and it was tom who was driving and i was sales and marketing so i've learned a lot in the 28 years and you just kind of you know it's been a 28 years of pivoting to be honest so that's uh it's an it, it's a great setup and i appreciate the context because now bring us back to as you guys are in your meetings and you're talking about what to do next and maybe you know weave in some of the other pivots that you guys had along the way and how you guys went through that whether they were intentional or not and i because i think you know the biggest challenge that I, as you and i right before we hit record is that like you know i work with all these business owners and you know i i can go back and i remember just when our family business started like that my dad bought a you know a semi truck full of copiers with our after refinancing our house <laughs> and like but when you go the reason i bring it up is when you get to the point where all of a sudden you've got this machine, you got your business, you got your cash flow, you got your plan. There's this sunk cost fallacy, like, hey, this is exactly what I should be doing. And I don't, the risk tolerance isn't as high anymore, right, Mark? Like, you're like, I kind of deserve the success that I've got here. And I don't really want to start over based on where I'm at in my career. So as you're dealing with all this, what's going through your head? And then how did you start gathering information? Kind of walk us through that. Uh, earlier this year when the yeah, COVID yeah. and like and kind of mentally and also like with the team, I mean, there's probably a lot going on there. Yeah. You know, again, when March came, came through and you're starting to see this, I mean, we literally were on spring break with the kids and this starts happening. You're getting called back. And as I told you with Mike Ostrom and the connection there, I called Mike and I said, what I'm in the airport going to what's going on. And again, he's telling me what's going, you know, his prediction of the future. And I said, Mike, I'm going to be dead. My company will die. And he said, well, the government will just have to take care of you. I think, well, you know, we don't live in Cuba. Um, You know, we've got to figure out some other way to do this. And emotionally, it probably took me, you know, a few weeks to really get over the shock of it. You're just kind of walking through it. And again, when the first uh, COVID started in the pandemic and everybody was locked and you had to stay home, I was the only one in the building. I mean, everybody from a safety and security Mm -hmm. aspect stayed home. And I still came in and Alex, my one other son who works in accounting, he worked the dock door because we were still getting trucks coming back from the trade shows that the shows were emptying. And even the trucks that were going there had to turn around. So we were getting some shipments, but we didn't want anybody back to the safety and security of the people. You take the risk as an owner. I'm going to come in. I'm going to make sure we've got everything safe. But yeah, that was our approach through it. And it was several weeks of what the heck is going to happen here? And several of our competitors or several people in the industry have chosen just to hunker down and, you know, have their head in the sand and wait for the storm to clear. 
and then come back. Uh, we were just like, that doesn't feel fun. You know, even if that is an option, it, it just, it didn't feel like it was the right option. We did a heavy cash flow analysis and said, you know, how far can we go uh, without anybody's help? We went to our bank and who's been our partner and we had a line of credit that we were in zero. So we had full line of credit. I was going to grab the line of credit, to be honest, and put it away in case. Yeah, I right. yeah. yeah. Max everything out, get a bunch of cash and figure out what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Ask and forgiveness bank, later. Yeah. And the bank was fabulous. And they said, you can do that. If you want to, you can do that. But here from us, you've got the line, uh, no matter what, we're just going to ride you through, awesome. even if it's not, it was tied to receivables. If you don't have the receivables, you still have the line. So we let it stay there. And then you just kind of really, you start to look at, okay, so if I've got cash, how far can I go? What else can we do? Oh, okay. And we did have the Pella project I was talking about. We're redoing the Pella window stores across the country. This is the third time we've done it in our 28 years. And we're in the middle of a three-year rollout. So that really kept us like, wow, at least we got some business yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Some oxygen, we, right? Yeah, we can keep going with that. And then we just said, okay, what else can we do? And as I said, some of the first things that came up is what's the easiest low-hanging fruit? What are we really good at? And we are, as a company in particular, well, our industry is good at it too, but I think we really excel at the fast solutions, coming up with good solutions and executing fast. And we call it fast, fun, and flexible. And so we said, all right, what is that? Well, everybody was worried about beds and hospitals and respirators. And one of our clients, you know, builds respirators. So we're like, okay, how do we help them? Can we build temporary hospitals? And that's where we got into bidding hospitals. And like I said, we produced a couple and then it was like, okay, everybody was scrambling for PPE stuff. And we looked at that and that was when we just made a decision that we're not going to compete on pennies with some of that. It didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. There were still other people that were better for that. Um, so that was a pivot we ignored. But then we just tried to say, okay, what else was there? And then we did go into the customization of the hand sanitizers. And Can I, can I stop you for a second? I got a question yeah. as you're starting to go into the trends. Maybe kind of go back a couple of steps, Mark, like how did you determine what you're good at? And the reason I'm asking, because, you know, as I've been looking and working with business owners for years, there's this, you know, concept in strategic planning of what is it that you're good at? What are your assets, whether it's machinery or people, processes or culture, whatever those things are, what are you good at? Because it's so like, I look at a business when they finally come to that realization that, hey, it might be applicable what we're good at at different industries. And they just never thought about what they're good at as it relates to other things. It's always been what we're good at as it relates to what I've always done. So like, how did you guys go, go through it? Or maybe you were already in that kind of mindset from pivoting over the years, but I'm just kind of curious on how you identified that. Is Hedgehog part of uh, EOS, the Hedgehog principle? I know it's Jim Collins. I don't know if it's part of EOS. You might have mentioned yeah, I think it. I think it's Jim Collins is where we got it from. But because of EOS, we do look at ourselves seriously every year, and we do look at it from a quarterly perspective too, but annually, we really go back into that blue ocean and do take a look at what are we really good at, what are our skill sets, and the hedgehog thing is how do you boil down to really the basic of what you're mm -hmm. excellent at. So we do that on a pretty annual basis, and so it wasn't any different with this, but you do, you step back and go, okay, where do we really excel? And we were, as a group of not only the leadership, but we're pretty flat. So my managers were part of the meetings. Uh, you know, at the beginning of this, we're 100 plus employees. 
you know, as you go into the layoffs, you're, you know, with the lowest we got down to, I well, it was down to two of us in the building for one point. <laughs> right. but, in a 200,000 square foot uh, building, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting as you had to go through that. But yeah, I mean, as average now, we're probably in the mid 30s as we're starting to re- rebuild back up on some of the 30 to 40 numbers. Um, but you looked at, okay, as that group, what do we really think we're proud of? What do we do? We do better than anybody else. And we found a lot of it was the marketing aspect and the solutions we provide, but it was that execution. And the builders that we've got are world-class and they really are some of the best in the industry. And they've got the personality also that, that back to that fun, fast and flexible. What do we need to do? How do we get best at it? You know, mm-hmm. where is it? So we really looked at, you know, that's where it got us into some of the pivots with, well, the PPE, we can build custom hand sanitizers, mm-hmm. but we're not going to go compete against somebody doing plexiglass. Mm-hmm. So we try to be clear on our core and stay to, we want something that is really marketing solutions. A lot of the trade shows have pivoted a little bit towards vid, virtual or digital, and we're doing some of those, but I haven't clipped that onto the body, you know, the body yet and actually have a digital agency. We mm-hmm. still partner with somebody with that. I don't know if that's going to be big enough, and it truly isn't our core today of what we do. Well, it's interesting so. how like I can see like why you would have said no to the PPE and some of that stuff because it's really commodity. It's just cranking stuff out, and it's not utilizing your design skill sets that you probably have. Right. Yeah, and what you're trying to do with anybody like us who gets into this size and you've got that shop back there, it's a machine you're trying to keep feeding. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying, how do I get the shop busy? How do we make money doing that? We had to look at uh, some of the other ways of, you know, ideas are currency. Can you come up with good ideas and solutions? And what were we doing to help solve our clients' problems? So that's where we kind of came in with the PPE for Cub Foods. They were looking for a specific look and a station, and we designed it and gave them a solution for it. It was like, great. Uh, We even had Walgreens reach out to us, and now you're talking thousands of it. But Mm -hmm. to your point, now it becomes a commodity, and it's like, okay, we can't compete against that, so let's mm-hmm. back out of there. What else can we be doing? So tell me what I love the phrase ideas are currency. Like that like is so awesome. And it brings me to this, I can't remember what book I was reading. And it was talking about like, you know, you got kind of the polar opposite of leaders, Mark, where you have the leader that sits in the corner office thinking they're gonna come up with some brilliant idea by themselves, not really talking to their customers or their employees. And then there's this other, I don't know if it was like the the rise of um I don't know, it's some computer company where they were like literally polling thousands of employees for ideas. So mm-hmm. like, how did you, like, how did you get your other team involved on the idea generation? Like what was the. Yeah, we always have. I am not one of those leaders that thinks I've got all the answers. I'm not as good as Steve Jobs or, you know, in that kind of category. It's, I have a belief that I want to gather myself with everybody smarter than me mm-hmm. and help be a part of the conversation. And we really want to be a bit of the lesson you learn from improv. Let's add to the ideas. Let's not attack anybody, but let's just keep going with the ideas. But yeah, we've always gotten our team together. And in this case, when it came around, we literally, uh, we've got the pieces that we're pulling together this week because we're doing our strategic planning Thursday for next year. And just, we're a little bit behind because of the, to be honest, the election and how do you manage the stuff that's going on with that? <laughs> just a couple but, of things we're all managing, right? Yeah. We've also gone through... Um, customer-centric or human-centric design. Hmm. So the process we go through is a lot of idea generation. 
and then you kind of uh, lump them together, and then you prioritize, and then you rapidly imply or implement something and test it, and then you roll it back up again, and, and it, it's just kind of a baking process on what really gets to the top of the surface. With that, we had a whole bunch of possibilities of what we could do that really fit our core competencies from a fabrication, from a creative, what else could we do to really help? And you got to look at what's out in the marketplace and what trends are going on and what we needed to do. We were looking at producing some furniture. I don't even know if I want to admit it, but one of the ideas that went up there is caskets. You know, we can fabricate. So can we build, you know, do we build caskets? And Mm -hmm. somebody presented that there are a a big need for like the cowboy old-fashioned caskets. And, you know, you throw that idea up and you kind of boil it down. You go, okay, not that one. But that's really the process that we've gone through. And it has been company-wide, everybody has a say in it. I mean, we had a real good presentation that we made with the NHL, and it did come from one of my shop guys who was uh, uh, watching a game. And I got this thing, and we, I think we should try this. And, we, you know, you're right. We baked it up a little bit and presented it to it. And the Wild represented or liked it really well and kicked it up to the NHL. Super cool. And I think if there were people at games earlier this year, you would have seen some of that. So we've got some neat stuff out there, but I do believe it comes from the, the mm-hmm. consensus of the group. And leadership has to boil down what makes the most sense and kind of help them fo- filter through it. But so at the end of the day. So what is that filtering process? So like after you kind of have your ideas, then how do you, how are you testing whether they're working, not working? Maybe that kind of goes into, you can kind of free flow, however you want to go about this. So whether it's the data gathering, you're talking your industry, you, you all, I don't know if you're tracking these with numbers, kind of curious, take us, you know, after the idea um, exercises. Yeah. Anytime you can, you know, it's obviously the smaller the test you can do that, that does ground the decision, the less cost or risk that you have. And so we'll look at some areas and we'll take one of those out there, the furniture one. So we went a little bit further and we looked at some furniture uh, solutions you throw it up on uh, Etsy and some of these things and you see if there is a, any kind of take on it. What is the margins on it? You look at it and go, you know, what's the ROI? Okay, the the volume wasn't enough for us to go further in that area. And you do as much data as possible. But unfortunately, with us in leadership or ownership perspective, there's a lot of quick decisions you've got to make and you're doing it with just, you know, part of the data. And you think you're it. And, and most times you're right. But you know, we have a pretty thorough, again, vetting process on the idea. I have to say we're pretty quick at throwing an idea out there and maybe not testing it all the way out. But, you know, we do what we can for it. And if we believe in it, we'll give it, give it our whole effort. So so then let's go, we can bring, bring you back to the trends that you're talking about. So you're analyzing trends. What was like, how were you looking at the trends? What were you, like any resources that you were gathering the trends and the data from? What was useful for you? A um, couple things, again, back to the uh, wisdom of the group. So the whole group came together and we told them that was our goal. So do some research on your own. What do you see are trends happening out there? We've got a whole list of, you know, working from home was part of it, giving back to the community with the civil unrest. There was just so many plays that came into that. We were trying to figure out from our community, watching the news, back to my uh, associations, what are you seeing in Germany? You know, what's happening over there? And just utilizing any aspect that we could come from that and touching in base to it. And then we would just bring it back as a group and go, okay, so these are what we're seeing is here's a trend in Asia. Here's a trend in Germany. Here's what we're seeing in the United States. Oh, by the way, this is what our one of our clients, Patterson Dental, is experiencing. What are they seeing for their trends? 
Mm-hmm. And we just tried to put everything together that we could. And that's where we got our sources of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so how, what was the rest of the other, like the, uh, the rest of the industry doing? Like, I mean, with, with what you're doing, it's, you had a lot of good practices and behaviors going into this. Like, were, were, were you kind of looking around? Were, were you, was there a couple other players that you're going, okay, you're trying this, I'll try that. I mean, like, <laughs> like a little bit of teamwork going on or. It's interesting. Cause I think in our industry, we have thousands of exhibit houses and most of them are mom, pa and smaller organizations that might be one to $3 million in revenue. And then there's uh, a few of us that are in that middle 20 to 40 million. And then there's, you know, just a handful that are really the big boys that are hundred million plus or some of those volumes with it. And it was interesting to see how each one of those operated. I found the bigger ones literally just froze. There just wasn't a lot of activity with them and they just kind of went home and nothing happened. The mom and pop ones are panicked. I mean, they're just, they, they've got, they live paycheck to paycheck as a business. And from an M&A perspective, we would talk to six to 10 of them that were about to go under and we were like, you know, what can we do to help you? Mm-hmm. We'll buy your business. We'll give, you know, something sort of commission or whatever. And it was interesting. The ones that a good percentage of them just said, no, we're, you know, I'm worth $3 million or 30 million. And you're like, not today. Sorry. Here, post COVID and probably even pre COVID. It probably wasn't that much. <laughs> right. So you kind of had those unfortunate conversations and there's been a few of those that have already closed. And I think there's more that's coming because they're just a little stubborn and not willing to take a Mm -hmm. realistic look at what the valuation is. Then there's the other ones that have just said, okay, I was going to step out. Uh, We actually were very close with a couple who owned a company in in, uh, Chicago and they were about to sign the deal to sell it in December and said, oh, one more year. Let's just do it one more year. (laughs) You know, the owner's nightmare. And that we were really close to it, but their point of view was, you know what, we're going to, we're going to fight through it. We were going to retire, but we don't have much choice. We're just going to dig into it and kind of come up with it. And just talked to another owner today. And he was kind of in that area of one or two years. He says, now I'm three to five. I got to work another three to five years to get to the value I want to get to. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the industry was interesting to see how they're going with it. Um, some of them are really going down that PPP program and they're selling plexiglass and it's just commodity and I don't know if what they're going to do or how they're going to make it, but you know, the ones who have survived and have done well um, are pivoting. They are doing something different areas like us or other things similar to it. But I would say the majority of them truly have just buckled down and they're down to 5% of the employees and they're just waiting for this to get over. And we're not seeing the trade show uh, world will start opening. I'm saying May or June. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've seen anything, but even like um, the theater, everything down in our isn't Hennepin Theater like, Trust. Isn't it like, the, I think it's like the fall 2021, they're, gonna, they're kind of targeting some events? Well, New York and Minneapolis is targeting June. So, Holy cow. Yeah. No way. Hamilton will be here late June, early July, and they're still planning on performing that. They think they can get that done. But with vaccines, and we'll see where it goes with it. But the other issue we're running into is when do clients or companies allow their employees to travel and you know so that's well, going to be even interesting mark as i was thinking as i've thought about your because I, I used to be a keynote at a lot of these conferences that are now all on zoom and uh the like getting us so let's say you get your 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 customer the, the the company that wants to do a trade show hopefully you got the trade show corporation 
that has to get all their sponsors. So right. if you think about like what sponsors are willing to roll the dice on a $50,000 sponsorship, you know, so you kind of look at all this, like who's going to start fronting the money to get the commitments <laughs> to start the, right. to start the, the whole supply chain going. Well, one of the interesting things I think from a, I guess the world, but we believe that one of the foundations that's going to help the trade show is the world of concrete is scheduled to still happen in Vegas in June. So I think that's going to be the basis of when the trade shows start to come back. But surprising, we're talking to customers, there's other ways to pivot on how do you want to get your clients together. All the casinos that are Indian based and such have their own sovereign nation. So they make their own laws. So do you have a convention at a casino? Oh, interesting. So those are things that we're looking at or how else do you go in? Because again, all of our clients have to sell a product or service. Right. Where's right. their customers? And we call it, you know, the um, integration empathy. Some customers are fine with no masks. Some customers won't come near you, you know, whatever. How do you get in front of them and how do you show it the right approach and empathize with them on their position in the COVID, you know, protocol? But some of it is mobile programs. You know, it's easy to put a mobile truck out there. We have an exclusive deal with Winnebago and their specialty vehicles, and we did the Vikings food truck. You can do more things like that. But it's also just smaller get-togethers that are instead of one big trade show in Vegas, mm -hmm. maybe there's 20 of them across the country that are smaller. And mm -hmm. those will be opening up sooner, I believe, from a legality standpoint mm -hmm. with the different governors and such allowing them. So how did you what kind of walk us through like how like were there any competing decisions with the my backyard studio and get feel free to just give us the rundown of what you guys are doing and how, like how you landed on that and how how it's all coming together? Yeah, again, like I said, with the trends, we really feel that it did create some innovations, and so this is going to change the world. We're all going to be different afterwards, and we have to figure out what best way suits that. But as we look forward, as I said, I, I really believe that it explores or explodes a trend that's already in place. Yeah. And this work from home was going to continue to be there. Um, we actually talked to one of the one of our competitors that's doing this, and we they're out in the West Coast, and they do eighty percent of their business just in California. And oh, we wow. first asked, "Can we do the rest of it for you? How about we just be your fabrication, or how do I support you?" And in, right in the conversation to start with, I said. I'm not going to sign an NDA because I think this is such a good deal. If you won't work with me, I'm coming into the business. And uh, we're like, okay. And we tried to work with them and they just, they, they just went away. They didn't, it was like, they did stop. They're busy. They, they're, mm -hmm. they're as busy as they can be. Mm -hmm. They did 90 of these in the month of June. Explain what these are. Uh, like, I guess so, I love it. Cause, and we'll, we'll link to pictures and all that kind of stuff. Cause like well, you and I and uh, uh, Matt were just talking right before we hit record that I was at home last week with my kids from a positive test at the daycare center. So I was trying to work from home with my kids and just, I call, all I could think is, oh, wouldn't it be nice to not be in this house? <laughs> yeah. Well, so what we came up with is we realized this working from home trend was going to continue. So we created studios. So we got mybackyardstudios.com. And it really is a, it can be as little as a 10 by 10, 10 by 12, 10 by 14. We're actually looking at two right now in California that are 500 square feet. So they're 20 by 30. Okay. Uh, so it can be madras, mad, you know, any kind of size it goes, but it really is your sanctuary. It's your place that you can go to and you can work with it. And I was testing it with part of the discussions of people like you or other advisors in my circle. And the guy across the street from me is a brain surgeon. 
And he's been forced to be at home a little bit, but he's now doing the home medicine thing. And he's got a 6,000 square foot house, him and his wife and one son. He's like in eighth grade. And I presented it to him and he's like, I got to have one. Same thing. He said, Mike, you know, anytime I'm on with a patient, the dog barks because UPS shows up or the kid comes in and the refrigerator, you know, I need my own place. You're onto something. Square feet. He can't find a closet to to hunger down. (laughs) Well, and there's something to that, you know, also it's the professionalism. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got a great background. This is just the background of my office here. And if we were really doing a video Zoom, I even tweak it up a little bit. But I can't tell you the number of major corporations that we've done Zoom meetings with. And I'm embarrassed to see what's behind them. Crazy, isn't it, Mark? Okay, so small little uh, side story. I think I've told this already in the show. But so my wife is a, a marketing manager at a, at a company. She's uh, part of in, She was supposed to attend Inbound, the HubSpot big conference. I don't know if you guys have ever done some yeah, of them. Yep. So this guy, I, I go up. It's the, at the end of the day. And he's doing their keynote, right? So I'm assuming usually he's presenting in front of 5,000 people. The price tag for a speaker like that's probably 10 to 30 or 50 grand. And the guy's sitting literally in like a trash can, Mark. I mean, I'm just like, dude, like they already probably, they probably paid you some money. You couldn't have just at least like put a green screen up. That's like a hundred (laughs) bucks. Like, yeah, and what, even those green screens, we looked at those a little bit. And when you do certain moves, you oh, know, totally, yeah. behind you feel like you're on drugs. You're like, okay, you in or out of the picture. And yeah, and so when we went a little bit further with that, part of our research and chatting with this uh, other company and then the clients that they've used, it really has been utilized by a lot of people already. As they're, if it's a yoga instructor or a psychologist or an accountant, or there's a lot of businesses that people can really have an office outside of their home. It's a small little office and they don't have to go downtown, pay for the parking and fight traffic and that stuff. And it's accepted. And then there's another big trend that we're seeing um, with the ADUs. So where's your grandparents are going to stay or where's your parents going to live, you know, have a place in the backyard and such with that. We're also seeing an awful lot where the new generation doesn't want the big house or the yard. And there literally is communities that are starting to be developed of the small homes. Yeah, like the tiny houses. That's honestly, yeah. Mark, that's exactly when I saw pictures. And just for the listeners, like these aren't just like shacks. Like these are like, I will look, you know, you got that all, like there's a trend right now with all the, like the black shingles and the nice white sh- uh, siding and all this. I mean, it literally looks like a brand new, like little mini. It reminded me of the tiny houses. It really did. Yeah, I mean, they're totally meant for that. Uh, they're all, so these are major studios. Um, we don't say sheds because couple reasons. One, I can't send sell a shed for 20 grand. You know? <laughs> and when you deck all these up with all certain, the creatures, certain people you might be able to, but it's not a, the volume you're probably looking oh. for. <laughs> and, and again, it's not something that when I think of a shed, it's something you have in the backyard where you put your lawn equipment mm-hmm. and you, know, you store stuff in. These are finished inside and out. You could very easily, as I said, back to the attorneys or psychologists, you could have an office there and your customers would have no problem coming into it. Mm-hmm. They're fully insulated. You got wind and snow loads you have to deal with. So we've got them all architecturally stamped and approved through that. Right now, we have three models that we've developed on our website, but we are continuing to do additional and add to them. But the other ones is we're always custom. So our strength is we've built these kind of temporary structures for years. We did the CARE 11 uh, warming house for the Super Bowl. So it was a big, you know, it was oh, yeah. a big studio. Yeah. And so that was back to our, when you said, how do we determine what it is? We've done that from client activations. 
this is just the first time we've gone from B to B to B to C mm-hmm. and actually go directly to the consumer. And so part of your testing phase is we threw it out there ahead of the game before we really had our stuff together to all the big boxes out there. And they all not only called back, but like, get them on the phone. Let's go. <laughs> and it was like, what? And, you know, it was kind of fake it till you make it. But we're like, oh, yeah, we're doing, you know, and that's. <laughs> of course. So, just like that yeah. million dollar contract. We're all the orders. Well, we haven't gotten them yet. <laughs> right. So we have, we're just about to activate with a couple of them right now. It's an onboarding process, but we literally got to the point of working through the trends in the summer. We were doing the civil unrest. We were trying to figure out where the rest of the industry was going. And then we made the determination, okay, how fast can we turn this on? And it was literally 60 days that we were able to turn this and activate it and started to promote it. But prior to that, we did have the big boxes going, okay, what do we need to do? And we've been onboarding and we're just getting finished, like I said, for a few of those. And it'd be interesting to see where that takes us. So when you're, so now how fast can you go? I'm curious, like the, 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 the data or the financials that you, if you use this as part of your process, Mark, or if you can probably assume, well, let me back up. I'll tell you the story. Like the, the, with that it goes back to that sunk cost fallacy, right? Like the fact that you just want to keep going instead of putting out a model to say, Hey, this is how fast our cash goes. This is what we should do. Cause I think a lot of the restaurants right now, Mark, they're mortgaging things and they're taking out lines and just hoping and praying, but there's not like a objective decision, objective decision to say, Hey, this is how far our runway is. This is what we want to need to have as a return to make this worth it. Did did that kind of go into your, you know, your decision-making or you know, it did a little bit, but I have to say we're very fortunate this year that we've still had some of the other business mm-hmm. and it, it, your restaurant example. So they've had to make major cuts, but there's several restaurants that are doing better today with just the takeout than what they were doing before. And it, it's kind of the numbers that go into play there. So I've actually ended 2020 with more cash than I started substantially. Good for you. That um, awesome. We haven't touched the line. I mean, and it's just things like that. So We've, we've, we've got a little bit more of a comfort zone than maybe some other situations, but we have looked it together and we did a preliminary budget of what we thought this would be, but there's still so many surprises. You know, you hook up to one of these big stores and you're turning on your website and you put some of the, Oh, I need an EDI component. What's that going to cost me? You know, there's another 30 grand out there. $100,000 developer in 12 months. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you're like, whoops. Okay. So yeah, we did some of those numbers with it and we're still looking at it. You know, we only have to do, you know, I would say 10 to 15 of these a month to really say this was worth it. Okay. And when we've already tested it, we've seen a competitor who really, they're 20,000 square foot. They're no, they're a great organization, but they're not anywhere near as sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And if they're doing a hundred a month, mm-hmm. you know, we're like, we, we've got this. Well, and I think, you know, that that's super helpful. And I think I'd, what is your what would be your response to someone that is just trying to do this? Like, how do you stay objective? Right. Like, cause you know, as an entrepreneur, you get so passionate about your ideas, which leads into probably, you know, dragging things out longer than they should. So is there a way or like, what, what, what do you do to stay objective on these ideas and how you're, how you're executing them? I think where my strength has been is I know what I know but I know more what I don't know. <laughs> and I'm really willing to go find out and talk to other people about it. And as we were kicking this around, I wasn't afraid to go to my neighbor and ask them, hey, what do you think of this? Would mm-hmm. you do something? And other business owners and other, you know, just 
play those ideas out. And if I did this, what would it look like to you? And would, what would you pay for a studio in your backyard? And, you know, we just started to go through that. And then you do the, as any kind of marketing, you're digging into your competitive analysis and you're looking what else is out there. And, you know, in this case, we weren't inventing something. We were just doing it better than somebody else. Mm-hmm. If you're really the first of anything, you know, that's cutting edge, bleeding edge. That can get really expensive. But when somebody else has already done it, it's a little bit easier just to, how do you get better at it? And what we found is that in the industry, there isn't the customer service. Our competitors are really falling down on that customer oh. service. And that's another thing that we really pride ourselves in is, is the white glove and really serving our customers. So we said, we can just own it by doing that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, um, that B2C play really makes a big difference because if you're not used to having a customer service department that's reaching out to consumers that don't have a staff to implement things for them, it's way yeah. different. Well, it's still even different that my team is great at customer service, but it's still a little bit corporate. And you have to remind them, no, no, this is a consumer. And you have yeah. to talk to them a little different with that. And think about it if they were them, you know, coming through it. And it's been a little eye-opening for a few of the people. So great at the dealing with a corporation and it's still people, but when you're a consumer, it's a whole different prospect that has to go through with it. So, so what do you, what are your, what do you see as an aspirational goal with this? I mean, where do you see, where do you see this trend accelerating towards? Well, again, as I said, the industry was at 70 to 90% drop. We ended up finishing the year about 40% off our, our target. So we feel lucky about that. And I'm really thinking that this will make up that 40% for the coming year. And to be honest, I kind of see it running for at least three to five years. And there's a little part of me as a business, at some point, do I split it, you know, and sell one off and the other, you know, how do you kind of keep it going with it? And cause it's, it's helping us today and it really fits our core values, but it also can be something that's separated. Mm-hmm. Our facility here again is world-class. Uh, we have customers that come through it and are just blown away but it's really set up for a marketing agency. Mm-hmm. You as a consumer really don't care, you know, when you're buying your studio that we have a beautiful facility. It mm-hmm. could be in a pole barn and you'd be just happy kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you, there's need some store, you need an online storefront more than anything. Correct. Yeah. So, but we invested heavily in this for our other business. And that was one of the other shocks when you talk about a business and assets. You know, when we built this building four years ago, it was our first build to our suit. And we had great aspirations from it. We took a huge dive that first year in profitability because my whole team was focused on the building versus the business. And you kind of go as an owner, what did I do? You know, I, I was focusing on one thing and another. And then, you know, you start to see it. And that's why I was saying this year, we thought we truly would get our return on investments. And we haven't in the building, but it'll keep coming. So you just launched a big thing with ESPN, right? So like, well, just just... Feel free to, to to brag a little bit. It's okay because I'm 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 very excited for what you guys are doing. So give us a kind of a rundown of what's going on and some of the activity. Yeah. So the My Backyard Studios has gotten a lot of attention. And what really worked well is we've reached out at three levels. One to the consumers and gone direct with the website, two to the big boxes, but three, we've also gone then to the corporate world, the HR departments. What are you doing for your C suites? If you want them to stay home from work, here's an opportunity. And then we went into the same level of sponsorships. So what is going out there also at the sponsorship world? And ESPN picked it up and it's college football playoff. And that's the organization that does the final game. And they have a tag a teacher mentality. So they're like, we have nothing to talk about with no people coming to the game or minimal. We need content. So 
we helped them with this whole concept and it was a presentation from our team going, this is a solution for you. What if you gave a teacher a studio? And they just fell in love with it. And so, yeah, it was down in Miami Beach a week or so ago for the final game. And we had, were on the boardwalk there and it was a good chance for all the teachers that come in and to see it and the different sponsorships or whatever. And they are, the finalists is about to be named on who the teachers that won it, but great success, a lot of PR for it. And, you know, they want to do it again next year. We're doing the same pivot or kind of offer with the Zurich Golf Classic and, and 3M is one of the ones that we also do some work with. We're pitching that to our other clients on what about doing something like this? Here's a way to do it. And there's so many other uses of this. So it's not just a classroom or an office at home. You know, it's any kind of pop-up retail. So, so what is, uh, you know, if you're thinking, because you're in a lot of CEO peer groups, I, I believe, or you've got a lot of friends. Yep. There, yep. And like for someone that's listening in and they're, they're, there's a pivot that they should have done or th- there's one that they could see themselves, you know, grasping onto, like what, what kind of words, maybe for the mental hurdle of this, but also the, the tactical hurdle, like any thoughts? Yeah, I, I guess you talked about it a little bit. There was that emotional stage where I've gotten to this part of my career where I didn't want to take all those risks. And I was kind of pulling back a little bit. And what I realized is, no, if you're really going to be an entrepreneur, you got to still lean in and take a look at where you want to go. I just chose I didn't want to be one of those companies that hunkered down and waited for it to clear. What? How do we take advantage of this? Mm-hmm. And it sounds harsh to take advantage of a COVID, but there's things that are going to change. So there's new markets that are going to come up. What are you going to do to leverage it? How do I, I have a fiduciary responsibility to my employees. What mm-hmm. can I do to really make them successful and go forward with it? And it takes the entrepreneurs willing to take that risk and do it. And it took me talking to myself going, no, you got to do this, dude. <laughs> Remember, Mark, you were in a building 28 years ago and you had nothing. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the biggest hurdle is that in, in it, for any business that's looking at, you know, cause we, we just got off a 12 year bull run, right? Like we're like, as long as people were buying stuff, there was money flowing through the entire economy. And I think there's a, like, cause I'm friends with a lot of investment bankers and like just the, the tick up because people now are not, they're not clipping coupons, right? The distributions aren't coming as well as they used to be. And so like, it's the, it's the crap I'm back to square one. And it's just, it's a, it's a tough mental thing when you don't want to risk it all again. And that's where like, you know, kind of tie, tying that to the objective feel like, Hey, like this time you can be more objective instead of, you know, risking everything on the passion. And <laughs> there's like a, I think there's a healthy balance there somewhere. Yeah, I think there is a balance with it. But the other realization is you can fight reality and then get your frustration or whatever, or you can accept it. And then that brings you hope, you know, so you don't want to get into the resentment of the world. Just get to the other side and go, this is really what's going on. And it took my conversations with Mike Osterholm and that to kind of get to the other side of it and go, all right, damn, there is a pandemic. Now, what are we going to do about it? Yep, yep. You know, so. Well, this has been an absolute blast. And I think you, I, I give you guys so much props. And I think that the people that are tuning in, there's a lot of people, whether they're in a business that they're, even though they might not have been impacted, they could ride, ride a trend, accelerate it up. And there's a lot of opportunity if they can, like you said, I think you put it well, very much accept it, then you can make action. <laughs> yeah. We just have to look around us to see what's going on. And that's what we did with the group and the people when we found solutions and vetted one out and off we went with our core competencies. So uh, two final questions for you. Um, one is, what does the word intentional mean for you? Intentional is uh, being very disciplined and purposeful on doing the work on what you want to do, creating that, and then discipline to follow through on it. So we look at it all the time. 
I love it. I love it. What's the best place to find you, Star Exhibits, my background, uh, my backyard studio, all the stuff that you guys have going on out there? Yeah, well, our main website is engagestar.com. And you can find us there or mybackyardstudios.com. Either one of those and it will link you back to us. That's the best place to find us or ESPN. You'll see us at other sites coming up. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're really wanting some uh, peace and quiet, you just just need to buy one. (laughs) Yeah. No, we have not seen anybody yet from the CCO or the media that we've gotten coverage on. Everybody's like, I I want one. (laughs) Because everybody's dealing with this. They're dealing with their own four walls and they want a little bit of me time. I mean, my wife's in the next door hunkered down in our spare bedroom for 10, 11 months now. It's like, we just got to figure out who's going to get one if if we have one option. (laughs) Or if your kids get older, where they're going to do their schoolwork, you put them out in the classroom. There you go. Oh yeah, it's our house. I don't need a man cave and a man shed. You just, you leave our house. (laughs) Yeah, put the kids out back. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a blast. Thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you, but thanks for everything you're doing and spreading the word. So, Well, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. If it's possible for Mark to end the year with more cash, for him to pivot that hard while also being intentional, I highly recommend you go check out the Intentional Growth course in the fourth principle under Increased Value. We have a whole section on strategic planning, how to assess and go through exercises to assess your tangible competitive advantage, those tangible assets you have, and then how the financials reflect where you're going and how to grow value so that way you can build a strategic plan and then have the data you need to make sure that those investments are going to yield the return and keep your cash flow going and also build value long term. Again, Arcona.io, go to the education tab where the intentional growth course is. If you got any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. You can take it on your own for a thousand bucks or you can hire Arcona for four coaching calls over four weeks for two thousand bucks. Thanks for tuning in and I will see you next week.